podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey there, 1012 Network listeners. This is Dustin from the Scott Nolan Podcast, the original Houston Cougar athletics podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, my co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott Nolan Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Metz. Today we are continuing our Kansas football opponent preview series here in the summer. Uh, we are now into week four, which is, which is the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, joining me as he did last year to help us preview Duke was David Shumate. He is the play-by-play voice for the Duke Blue Devils. David, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? It's about a not quite 100 degrees here in Durham. The humidity is up, so you can... The heat is summer, right? But that means football's not too far away. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's definitely cooler here than that, but <laughs> it has been a lot hotter. I, I am glad that I work inside and don't have to go outside very often. Uh, unfortunately, I don't get a chance to actually cover the team in person and watching practices and all of that. But days like this where it's really hot, I am very glad that I don't have that opportunity <laughs> because I don't do well in hot weather. So, 100%. All right, David. So, so obviously, um, these two teams played last year, Kansas and Duke. And a lot has happened for both of these teams since then. Duke now has a brand new head coach. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about like what happened the end of last season that, that caused Duke to kind of move on and then what they're excited about with the brand new head coach? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, obviously Duke played Kansas early in the year and as a part of a run of, of non-conference wins that they went through and then they got the win over A&T and then they got a win over Northwestern. They beat Kansas and, and had some chances early in league play in particular. Think about Georgia Tech at home where they had a chance to, to win a game late. Um, but unfortunately, in the second half of league play, some of it being injuries, personnel, you can look at it however which way you want to. It, it just did not work on either side of the football. And you end up with some really lopsided score lines um, where, you know, just turnovers at bad times or, or the defense just, you know, giving up big chunk plays or getting beat via the run. That that was kind of the issue was there really wasn't one place to, to try to plug the dam, so to speak. It, it was coming from multiple directions. And uh, a lot of the score lines got away late in the season. And then after the year, uh, Nina King, who's our vice president, director of athletics, and, and David Cutcliffe, the head coach, sat down, you know, day after the season, decided it was a good time to part ways and, and look for a fresh start um, for the program. You hate to see that because uh, obviously in my role in particular and your role as well, you know, you get to know the staff and everyone around the program as people, but that's the business we're in. And, and everyone kind of knows the the determining factors that sometimes you need to have change. And I think you know, we're going to talk a lot about Mike Elko and what's to come, but I think it, it goes without saying. I don't think we can take for granted, and Mike Elko has talked about this, what David Cutcliffe and, and his staff did for this football program, revitalizing things over the course of his tenure here. Um, facilities upgrades were dramatic. Um, 
obviously the last couple of years hasn't been going the way that, that Duke would want, but um, you know, I think there's a bright future in, in Elko and his staff. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that at length, but yeah, last year, it, for whatever reason, it just did not work. And, and Duke has a lot of things they need to clean up going into this year. And I think Mike Elko is very much aware of that. Yeah. I mean, for those that didn't pay attention to Duke from the, from the Kansas side after those two teams played, I mean, they, they beat Kansas to go to three and one and then unfortunately did not win a single game the rest of the year. Um, so I, I think it's completely fair to say that the bottom fell out for that team. What are you expecting though? For, for, from what you've seen from Mike Elko, what is like different in the, in the, in the tone, the way that they're, they're talking about the program or what they're actually doing differently day to day that, that gives you kind of that, that, that hope that they're ready to start turning things around this year. Well, the thing that has impressed me with Mike Elko, who comes over from Texas A&M and has been a longtime defensive coordinator at the top level um, of college football, whether it be Texas A&M, spent some time at Notre Dame, also spent some time at Wake Forest um, in the ACC. You know, you, you think about a guy that's going to be a head coach for the first time, which he is here at Duke. His background, um, he has some experience in his playing days at private schools and kind of understands the challenges that come with that and the opportunities that come with that at a place like Duke. But he came in with a holistic approach to how he wanted to look at things. You know, the curiosity in his press conference from everybody is, all right, your emphasis is going to be on defense, right? You're your defense coordinator. You work with Jimbo, who was an offensive guy at Texas A&M. And he said, no, no, I want to score a bunch of points. I'm going to be the CEO here uh, overseeing the entirety of the program. And, and the biggest things, and some of them are obvious because of the time of year that I've noticed, you know, they've overhauled what they've done from a creative standpoint, uh, you know, social media is so important these days and, and what it means for recruiting. And there's been a noticeable difference, not just um, in the quantity of content they're putting out, but the quality of it uh, hitting a younger demographic. And they've been on a, I can't talk about it specifics, but you know, if you look at social media, recruiting seems to be going fairly well um, with, with the upcoming class. So you notice that you also notice some of the strength and conditioning that's being done um, David Feely, who's come in to, to head up that program, what they've done in the weight room. You know, it'll be interesting to see when we get to camp to see the actual changes in guys' bodies from the spring into the summer. But there's definitely a, a renewed energy is the best way I would put it. And, and a commitment um, to, and not that it wasn't previously, but to really lean in to making it fun. Like they did a theme day the other day when they were trying to max out in the weight room. WWE theme and the, and the guys came all dressed up as their favorite wrestlers and got into it. And you could kind of feel the camaraderie coming back to it. And I think the last couple of years, from my perspective, that maybe was something that, that had drained away a little bit for a number of reasons, whether it be the COVID-19 protocols that were put in place to, to keep everyone safe. There was only so much you could do from a team building perspective. Let's be honest, you know, when you're not winning, it's not a lot of fun and it kind of gets sapped out. So with the new staff and, and new people in place, you can sense that for a lot of these guys, the, the fun is starting to come back into it. Um, so that's been really cool to watch. But to me, to see his holistic approach on that side of it, kind of the off the football field stuff. But then when you look on the football field, you know, you think about who he's brought in. Rob Smith coming in from Rutgers to head up the defense. They have a long-term relationship. Kevin Johns on the offensive side of things puts up some big numbers um, at Memphis running that offense. So you can't help but be impressed with some of the puzzle pieces that have been put in place on either side of the football. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there's definitely been a lot of changes and let's, let's jump into some of those changes because with obviously every year players move on, you have, you know, different players that kind of do different things. But when you have a, a system change, you know, it's, it's very possible that a lot of guys, there will be turnover in terms of who, who starts, who has 
consistent playing time or even who transfers in and out because of changes of philosophy. So um, obviously last year there was there was a lot of scoring by that by that Duke team, um, especially early in the year. You know, it, it kind of um, I, I guess what what has changed from this offense, whether it's particular personnel. Um, that have kind of changed the way that this offense is going to run or schematically that like someone who, who looks at this Duke team that got used to the way that they played last year, what are going to be the biggest noticeable differences immediately? Well, I think to some respects, I think that's still to be determined because I know in my observing of spring practice, a lot of what they were doing was talent evaluation. It wasn't so much implementing a scheme and, and the coaches have talked really across the board about, They're not coming in to implement something. You know, Duke's defensive scheme a year ago was a 4-2-5. The nickel was their base defense trying to answer the spread and things like that. You know, whether coaches come in having a background with a 4-3 defense up front and and do you want to mold to that, they've kind of talked about, you know, they've got to mold to the personnel they have. I think some of that is just being candid about the fact that if you want to – just making a hypothetical, if you want to switch to a three-linebacker scheme where you're going to need a lot more linebackers – Uh, to accomplish that. So some of that is kind of working with the personnel you have. And and some of that is just the philosophy these guys are are bringing to the table is they might switch it up every year based on the personnel and and what's going to work best um, from a schematic standpoint. So I I think that's going to be something that's going to have to be figured out as we get closer to the start of the season, what ultimately the offensive scheme is going to look like. I mean, I had a chance to visit with Kevin Johns and and I asked him kind of where the trends were going. and, And he was kind of talking about, you know, you look at where college football has gone in terms of spreading things out and throwing the ball all over the place and, and looking deep that we might see an evolution back to maybe a little more power football because you, you have to dictate to the defense what you want to do. And if that's what they're allowing you to do, that's maybe where you're going to have success. And, and here's a guy who has been able to spread it all over the football field saying he might mold in that direction. And, and Duke does have some pieces coming back. Along the offensive line, obviously the big piece uh, that won't be back is Mateo Durant, who set the single-season rushing record a year ago. So there's definitely some questions in terms of who's the next guy in the running back room. And is it a single guy? Is it two or three different guys, as had been the case for Duke, you know, the four or five years previous uh, to Durant's record-breaking year a year ago? So there's a lot of different pieces in there to to say, and you can tell that I'm still trying to figure out what it's going to be because they're just looking at, personnel right now and and if you look offensively Duke does return a a bunch of their receiving core I mean I'm looking at it right now they've got three of their top five receivers coming back so that's a plus they've got basically their entire tight end room coming back you got three or four guys along the offensive line coming back you've got two quarterbacks in Jordan Moore and Riley Leonard that got significant playing time in the second half of the season coming back that will likely um, be vying for the starting role this fall. So you got all that gelled, and we can talk about defense here in a second if you'd like to. Um, so the pieces are there. What it looks like and how they're used, I think, is still to be determined over the course of the next month or so. Yeah, and, and we will jump into the defense here in, in just a little bit. But based off of everything you've seen from the spring game, you know, from spring practices, from kind of everything that's been going on, are there any offensive players that really kind of jump out to you as these are the guys that, you know, if you follow Duke at all, you know, nationally, people are going to know this this guy's name before the end of the season. I mean, Jalen Calhoun is certainly the guy that jumps off the page for me. He's a slot receiver that has shown uh, a bunch of speed and has shown an ability to be a playmaker to find the end zone. So I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be a big piece going into what will be now, you know, 
being an upperclassman and a leader on this team, which will be a little bit of a new wrinkle for him. And I think it'll be interesting to see how he embraces that role of not just being a playmaker, but having to be someone out there on the defensive side of things that's going to have to lead things. And then Eli Pankle um, is the other guy that I would keep an eye on, and another wide receiver um, that has the playmaking ability to break a game open. So I think the receiving core is going to be an interesting thing to watch this year and how they're incorporated, whether it be Calhoun, whether it be Pankle, there are a couple other guys. But that's kind of – those are the guys that in spring that really jumped out and caught my attention. There's some younger guys like Samir Hagens. Um, but if you're looking for household names and, and people that are going to be drawing attention, those two would, would be at the top of my list. Awesome. All right. So um, let's let's jump over to the defense then because, you know, again, last year – it was it was very rough for this defense. You know, they they gave up a lot of points to a lot of different teams. Even you know the game against Kansas where they won by double digits, they gave up a lot of points. Um, you know, pretty early in that particular game, bringing in a defensive coach, kind of like you talked about, where he is you know going to be the CEO, isn't necessarily going to impose his will on what the defense is going to do. Um, how how do you think that this team so far has really kind of changed the way that they're doing things defensively? Not not necessarily talking about specifics, but you know, what were the big holes that they had last year that you think they have an opportunity to make some headway in going into this season? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you look at it and you mentioned the Kansas game where it's 52 to 33 and it was kind of up and down the field. Very entertaining to watch. I'm sure for a defensive coach, you want to pull your hair out when you're seeing that stuff going on. Um, but when you look at it, you know, a game against North Carolina that was a really high powered offensive team only giving up 17 points in the first half, end up losing it 38-7. to seven. You know, Virginia, Duke gets shut out 48 to nothing, 45-7 to seven against Wake Forest. So if you're looking at some of the defensive deficiencies, some of that you have to look and say, you know, when the offense is out on the field, there was this pretty consistent pattern after a quarter or so where you could see the defense getting tired and then things can kind of start to spiral in, in a not-so-great way, and that's how you end up giving – up 40 points a game and you look at the passing yardage that was giving up better than 300 yards a game or, or on the ground giving up more than 200 yards a game so I think one of the noticeable differences that I think will be in place this year is, is that the guys will be re-energized to go out there and, and want to compete and, and being a part of building something new and because you, you see the ability I mean you look at what Duke has done in terms of putting guys in the league uh, on the defensive side of the football, Victor DiMuchegi, Chris Rumpf over the years. Offensive side of the football, of course, Daniel Jones with the Giants, Noah Gray, um, someone I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, but, you know, the the pieces are there. And to me, I think that a lot of people look at this and be like, wow, it's it's a big turnaround thing. When you look at, as you mentioned, the losing streak at the top, uh, losing the last eight games a year ago, and you see some of the lopsided scores. Um, I do think it, it has the potential to be a year where there's a, a transitional piece to this, but I, I wouldn't be shocked to see some of these guys come out and just have, I, like I said, just a renewed energy to go out there and compete and, and fight for four quarters. And, and that's something that I see being around practice and, and being uh, seeing what they're doing in the weight room that I think will be the biggest thing. It's not so much, oh, we're going to take this guy to the lineup and plug this guy in. You know, you've got Dwayne Carter up front, who's a really talented Defensive tackle. You got a guy like RJ Oben, who's a great edge rusher, who had a ton of playing time last year, had some production early in the year. Um, I think he's a guy who can explode. You got Shaka Hayward at the linebacker role, who, who's a guy who I think can play at the next level. And Duke definitely went through some growing pains in the secondary last year. There's no question with guys like Jalen Stinson and Daquan Johnson, younger guys kind of finding their way. Well, guess what? Now they've got that experience and they're coming back. So 
I don't think this is a, a thing where it's like, okay, we're just going to totally change out the personnel. I think the combination of experience and a renewed commitment to what Coach Elko and Rob Smith on the defensive side uh, is doing, you know, I think that could really bear out results maybe quicker than a lot of people might think. Yeah, for sure. I, I do want to dive a little bit more into the defensive personnel and kind of some of the, the transfer stuff. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk podcast. As the college sports world has gone crazy, there is one constant that you absolutely can count on, and that is the comfort and the absolutely fantastic apparel over at Sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel is the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They have t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, a whole bunch more, over 120 different schools. They are continuing to add more all the time. They are right smack dab in the middle of big new Saturday season four. Um, look, Nebraska Cornhuskers, I may not like a lot of the stuff the Cornhuskers have, but the line that they are getting ready to, you know, throw out there is absolutely phenomenal. I guarantee that whether it's the Cornhuskers or anybody in the Big 12, the Kansas Jayhawks, you know, the Duke Blue Devils, anybody that you can think of, um, I'm sorry, I don't actually know if they have Duke yet at this point, but they are, they, they do have a lot of really great schools over at Homefield Apparel, a lot of great vintage college sports apparel with a ton of different logos that are absolutely fantastic. So head on over, homefieldapparel.com, promo code CHOP12, get 15% off your entire first order, and all orders over $100 have free shipping. Again, you can be like pretty much, you know, any uh, college sports fan that you can think of that has heard of Homefield Apparel and fill your closet with absolutely fantastic vintage logos and vintage apparel from people or from schools that you have no rooting interest for because it's all that great. So homefieldapparel.com, promo code CHOP12, get you 15% off your entire first order, and all orders over $100 have free shipping. Current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course the best fans in the country all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone Family. Join me, Jamie Steyer Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure. This is one family reunion you won't want to miss. Each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. And we're back. I'm here with uh, David Schumate. He is the play-by-play voice for the Duke Blue Devils, um, talking about the about this Duke football team and what we can expect to see from them coming up next year or, or coming up this season. Look, um, we talked a little bit about the defense. You talked a little bit about kind of what, what changed there, but kind of similar to the offense, are there any players that really have kind of jumped out as these are the guys that you're expecting to make a big impact for this team defensively? Well, I mean, we talked about them just a second ago. Shaka Hayward is the leader of this defense, had the team lead last year, 98 tackles for perspective. Lummy Young, the fourth, who's only with the team, had 64. So you had 34 in between. Now, some of that was schematically that things kind of funneled towards the linebackers to get those tackles, but 11 half tackles for loss, three sacks. He's a guy that has the ability to single-handedly take over a game. So he's someone that I would have my eye on. Um, and also number 90, Dwayne Carter. Here's a guy who had seven and a half tackles for loss and four and a half sacks a year ago. He's a leader on the team. He's an emotional leader. So he's another guy that I would keep my eye on. The interior of that defense and obviously stopping the run is going to be a point of emphasis when Duke gave up better than 200 yards a game a year ago um, and giving up, you know, more than five yards a carry. So I think the interior between those two, I think, is going to be really important to what Duke wants to accomplish. And I think they both could be in position to have really big years. Yeah. So 
obviously this this offseason there was a lot of big changes in college football mm-hmm. and that's not even getting into the realignment stuff that just broke this week um you know changes to the way that the transfer portal works uh we will win people are eligible the the total number of initial counters allowing people to you know really restock rosters a lot quicker than they used to be able to how has duke been able to kind of take advantage of that are there any big transfers that have come in that, that you're expecting to be able to jump in immediately well, I think there, there's layers to that, right? Because obviously with Mike Elko getting hired in December, he was kind of, to some extent, inheriting a recruiting class. And, and there's an element of kind of getting to know them, getting a jump start on the next year's recruiting class and also working through some transfers. So I think some of that is still in process. And I think they're still working through some guys they might bring in on the transfer side of things. So I think a little bit of that is to be determined in, in terms of who might pop over the course of the summer. Um, but I do think it'll be interesting to see, and, and we kind of talked about this uh, from a youngster standpoint in the running back room, opportunities. Uh, yes, Jordan Waters is back, and, and he was statistically the second leading rusher a year ago um, behind Mateo Durant. But there, there are some really freshmen that I think are really interesting. Eric Weatherly, a Florida kid, Terry Moore, uh, also a guy looks like he's going to be explosive out of Washington, D.C. A couple of freshmen that I think could really factor in to the running back position, because to me, on the offensive side of things, that to me is where outside of the quarterback position where everyone wants to talk about it, and I'm sure we'll talk about it to some extent, how do the young guys impact the running back room I think is going to be an interesting place to see, and I think Weatherly and Moore will be a big piece of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of those types of rooms where the depth is just as important as the mm-hmm. starter. Um you know, kind of kind of talking about that, though, looking through the rest of this this summer with the ability now to kind of shore things up as you're right in the middle of summer camp. Is there any position that jumps out to you, whether it's because of depth or just because, you know, trying to find a guy that can that can consistently contribute in any position that you think that the staff might be looking to try to upgrade through the through the transfer portal at this point? Yeah, I hesitate to speak for them because I'm not in on those discussions, but I do think the maybe the position group to kind of put a spin on it that has the most opportunities for guys, young guys, whether it be a young guy or transfer to step in and and play automatically, I think would be in the secondary. I talked about some of those younger guys um, that will certainly be anchors in this and and Stinson um, and Johnson, but I I do think there are opportunities, whether it be at the corner position, safety, what have you to come in and, and make an immediate impact. And when I go to fall camp, I think that'll be the area that I'm watching with, with a, a good bit of interest because to some extent you kind of know the pieces to the puzzle at the other positions and where do they fit. But I do think there's an opportunity for guys in camp to come out and, and win jobs in the secondary. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and kind of the same point, like Kansas was very clear after spring training or, you know, the spring practices and everything that they needed to upgrade in the defensive secondary. Like they needed more cornerbacks, more safeties. And for the next like two months, they literally went out and got a whole bunch of players that could play in that defensive secondary. So, I mean, it's, I, I don't think it's, I think most most people that follow teams and most people that talk about teams are able to identify what those positions are and the way that college football is at this point. Like you probably can't go wrong saying that the defensive secondary could use a little bit of extra depth or you know more bodies because we are we are living in a a college football world where with so many offenses spread out with so many times you're going deep. Um, it's really easy to kind of wear those guys out over the course of the of the game. I don't I don't know that there is a good defense that plays less than seven or eight players in their defensive secondary with any kind of regularity. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if if that was the position that came up anyway, because that's the one I, I always circle when I'm looking at a team. It's like how strong is their 
secondary, not just at the top, but, you know, two or three levels deep because there's a really good chance you're going to be playing those third stringers for a decent number of minutes during any particular game. Well, and there's a reason those lockdown corners get paid so much at the next level. There aren't many of them. They're hard to find. Right, right. <laughs> to do that. No, you're right. That's always somewhere you're looking to find a little more speed or, as you said, a little more depth. All right. So, so what about special teams? Like, I know that typically that's not one that you really think too much about, but there are definitely, I I have been a part of plenty of, you know, teams that I've rooted for where special teams has completely destroyed any chances that they had, or a really good special teams can, can um, really kind of elevate a team that maybe not necessarily you would think would be doing as well as they are. So is, is there anything of note, particularly from the special teams, either a, a specialist who, who's really good or a return guy that, that you're expecting to get some recognition this year? Yeah, for sure. I actually think in, in terms of everything being in transition here, special teams is likely the area where Duke has the chance to go out there and show some people and win some all-conference awards. When you think about Porter Wilson, who's a really good punter, has a, a booming leg and, and done, has done a really good job in his time here at Duke working on his um, physical conditioning and getting better shape to have a better impact on that. Um, he's really good. I expect to see quite a bit from him. Charlie Ham is the kicker. He's been here for a number of years now. Uh, came in as a really highly touted recruit, has kind of worked his way through a few things, but seems to be rounding into form as incredible physical shape and I think is going to be a big asset this year. And then when you look at the return game, you know, Jalen Stinson took two back a year ago for touchdowns. So he's a guy that has explosive speed. Um, has the shiftiness you would want to, to make a guy miss. And when I say he, he took him back, I mean, one of them he took back was against Miami. So if you can take one back against the Hurricanes, you, you certainly have the speed um, to get it done. So I look at special teams to be a huge strength for Duke this year and, and something that needs to be a strength for them to, to reach the goals that, that they want to have. But I, I think Porter Wilson, Charlie Ham, the, the kicker, the specialist, so to speak, but, but also the return game with Stinson, I think could, could maybe be the strongest unit on this team just because of the experience they have there. Yeah, I mean, and, and a good return game can do quite a bit. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how well they're able to kind of incorporate that, especially early. Like you look at the schedule, um, you know, they have some teams really early in the schedule here that did not play very well last year. Um, you know, like Temple and Northwestern were both uh, three and uh, I think it was three and uh, nine last year. Um, you know, and then, of course, Kansas in week four. Looking at, at you know, what Duke can do and, and kind of like what a reasonable amount of wins a fan would, would be able to expect or at least hope for, um, how, how big of a deal do you think it is that the games that they have early in their schedule at least seem to be winnable on paper at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think you're always curious how the schedule lays out, and you kind of touched on it, starting with four non-conference games before you dive into league play. Um, there's also kind of an interesting quirk in the schedule this year, even with the open date that falls. The Duke doesn't have consecutive home games like they did last year. So even um, that piece, I would be interested to see how it plays out. But, I, I, you know, I hesitate to say, oh, well, these games are winnable because you know what Pat Fitzgerald has built in Northwestern. They're obviously a very right, good right. program. Kansas is certainly a program that's on the rise. Temple is a program that's been feisty over the years. Um, and even when you get into league play, I mean, the ACC this year, the big conversation is going to be all the new coaches, obviously here at Duke, uh, Virginia, Miami. I mean, there, there's a ton of transition, Virginia Tech. I mean, so there's there's a little bit of unknown, I think, going into the year, which kind of makes it exciting about not only are who are people in the league and in non-conference going to be personnel-wise, but also from a scheme standpoint. And I do think there's an element – that maybe plays to Duke's favor and that, you know, that first month of the season, even the first handful of league games, 
there's not going to be a lot of tape. Uh, you know, people can study what Elko has done at different stops over the years and, and Kevin Johns has done and Rob Smith has done, but there's not really a book on what they've done here at Duke uh, with this type of personnel. Um, so I think that kind of can play to it. And I think you talked about expectations and I think it speaks to, you know, what's happened with the program over the course of the last nearly two decades. The expectation has been raised to, I think the fan base sees, you know, getting to a bowl game is kind of a baseline expectation at this point. I think that's been part of the disappointment of the last three years is not being able to get there. And I think Mike Elko has came in and, and welcomed that challenge. And, and he has an acronym that he uses, GRIND, um, talking about what he wants to accomplish here. And one of the letters stands for now. Uh, and it's about approaching everything head on with what you want to accomplish. But that also means, you know, getting back to winning. He wants to do that now. This isn't like, oh, we're going to, you know, kind of go through our lumps and, and get back to it in three or four years. It's no, he wants to go out and attack it right now. Um, but a big piece of that, in my time here at Duke, and I've talked to people been here uh, a long, long time, is, you know, you can't go one and three in non-conference play and then expect to just flip it around in the ACC. The ACC is just too good. So to get off to a good start uh, against teams, like you said, Kansas, Northwestern, um, it is going to be very crucial to setting the tone to what Duke can do in terms of reaching their goals of getting back to the postseason. Yeah, I mean, so so kind of to that point, like what what do you think is a reasonable expectation for the fan base? Like you talked about how, you know, the, the fans have come to the point where they're kind of expecting to be in contention for bowl games and things like that. Obviously recognizing that this is a, this is a brand new staff. You don't know how the players are really going to necessarily react to what they're trying to implement or how well they're going to be able to get everything to mesh super early. Like, is, is there something that you would say is reasonable for fans to be expecting at this point, or is it more of a kind of see what happens in those first three or four weeks and then set your expectations at that point? I mean, I think the coaching staff would say the same thing. I think everyone thinks it's reasonable to expect to be in the postseason. And I think that's something that always starts as the goal. In honor of the last year of Coastal Chaos, I think you'd love to win the division and get to the ACC championship game before everyone kind of gets thrown into the same pot in the top two, go play for the league title game. Um, but I think those goals don't change. I mean, I think some people will probably look at that and be like, oh, well, that's coach speak, or I'm just kind of giving the talking points out there. Um, but no, they're not walking into the season saying, oh, we're going to see how it goes and, and see if we can be competitive. There's an expectation that, you know, whether it be the system, the culture, the philosophy is to win, and they're doing everything to build that. And that's why I think the spring was really important because I think those relationships have started to be built amongst the staff um, and the personnel. And then I think the summer is going to be so important as they start to implement these schemes and, and the different things that they want to accomplish because they're going to have to hit the ground running. I mean, open on a Friday night, but then it's on the road to Northwestern back home for a quick game and then back on the road to take on Kansas. And before you know it, you're a month into it and then you dive right into league play. So I, I think the expectation is to get back to the postseason. I think they think that's something that's very much within reach. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, being around enough coaches, if you don't believe that you can do something, there's, you know, you're probably halfway to not being able to do it. So it's definitely reasonable to expect that, that anybody who is involved in the program is going to feel like they can go ahead and do that. And, and like you said, there are a lot of unknowns, a lot of things that can go really well for this team that you may not be expecting kind of going in um, that, that make that achievable. I do think that, that Kansas fans and, you know, Kansas staff and everything believe that, there is a lot of room for improvement for this team as well. And so it'll be interesting to kind of see where both these programs are at when we get to week four, because I could make a really good argument that both of these teams are going to have a winning record at that point. 
Um, and then this will be a game that will be interesting for everybody involved to kind of figure out who gets to take that one step closer to potentially making a bowl game this year. So um, any anything kind of final thoughts of this team of kind of what the expectations are for Duke or, or how good of a team you expect Duke to be this season before you get out of here? Yeah, well, the, the, there is one other thing we haven't talked about. It's been, a, unfortunately, a, a feature of this Duke program the last few years is turnovers. And I think that's going to speak to the success of this program in, in terms of getting back to the postseason. You look at last year, Duke ended up, you know, minus seven in turnover margin. It ended up, you know, losing 21 turnovers, 12 fumbles, nine interceptions, and um, that was a market improvement from the year before during the COVID year where Duke set a record in terms of turnovers. And and to some extent that has spiraled in certain games where there's been upwards of five, six, seven turnovers. And it's almost impossible to win when you're giving the football away that much, the psychological effect, the pure field position effect, and just the fact that, you know, in an average game, what you're going to get 10 to 14 possessions. Well, if you turn it over on five of those, now you're down to seven chances to score, you know, the, the math just starts to work against you. And some of that is things that need to be clean up. But honestly, from my perspective, some of that is just at some point, this luck has to turn. Duke has lost an incredibly high percentage of the fumbles um, that they've had last year. They fumbled 20 times, lost 12 of them. Their opponents fumbled 22 times and only lost six of them. So, I mean, it's just, and some of that is you create your own luck. And I think that's a part of it too, but fingers crossed, hopefully the turnover thing changes here. Um, this year and under Mike Elko, because the last couple of years, this team has been snake bitten and, and the turnovers have really caused things, you know, turn a one touchdown game or a one possession game or two possession game into some of these lopsided score lines you saw. Yeah. And th- that is the one thing that I will say, you know, for, for Kansas, it seemed like they got some pretty good turnover luck last year, at least at least a good portion of the time, especially when you look at some of the games that they were super competitive in. And so you are right that, you know, they, you do create your own luck sometimes. There is definitely a, a, a quote-unquote good way to fumble the ball where you have the, then have an opportunity to be able to you know jump on it if, if, if you're the offense. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how all of that comes together and, and kind of how everything kind of happens here. I, you know, because I, I did mention, because it has happened and we have kind of been talking about the, the conference realignment stuff that's come up all over the place. I realize it probably is not something that's going to affect either Kansas or Duke on the field this year, but ha- how does that happening kind of change the conversations that people are going to have this year? And how does it kind of cloud the entire season for everybody? I mean, I think, look, no one's naive to what's going on in the sport broadly. And there are a number of things going on, whether you look at, you know, players' economic rights and what's going on with NIL, whether you want to look at conference realignment, uh, you know, NCA legislation, everything that's going on down in terms of the pure looking just at conference realignment, you know, the ACC, everyone kind of knows this, but if not, the ACC is in a situation where with the launch of the ACC network, there was a grant of rights that stretches into the middle of the next decade. Um, yeah, like 2035, where, right? <laughs> yeah, to, to, to some extent, it, it's something that the ACC is aware of. You can look at conference payouts and, and obviously everyone wants to maximize that as much as possible. But, you know, this stuff happens above my head and smarter people than me are looking at it to some extent. I don't want to say the ACC is unaffected, but that grant of rights stretches for more than a decade. And, and there's some good things that come with that and some not so great things that come with that. So to some extent, at least as we're talking today, who knows in this climate, I don't think I would have thought USC and UCLA would be in the Big Ten. Anything yeah. could change on a dime. 
Um, but I don't think it takes anybody's attention off the immediate work of what they need to do to get ready for the season, particularly, like I said, in the ACC, where the grant of rights kind of makes it prohibitive for, for anything to change there. Yeah, I mean, th- there have been a lot of people kind of talking about opportunities the ACC might have to expand to either you know change that grant of rights if you have a significant change in membership or something like that. But kind of to your point, I don't think that really affects any of the football programs. And if you think about it, you know, if more realignment is going to happen, um, you need your football program to be as strong as possible. So that makes it even more mm-hmm. urgent, I think, for everybody to to figure out what's going on, find ways to start improving it. And while it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, you know, get it done this season, you have to have a really good season to be prepared for the inevitable realignment. You do have some time to do that. Um, you know, as, as the Big Ten, I think, kind of put out is like, you know, people that want to join the Big Ten or people that want to go to the SEC or things like that or even – come to some of these other conferences like the ACC or the Big 12, that's not going to change in two weeks or two months or two years. You're going to you know, have those sort of opportunities, and it's about just maximizing your position and doing the, the things that you would normally do to make your program as attractive as possible. So I do agree. I, like, I don't think it changes anything here, and obviously all of those decisions are made way above everybody's head um, you know, that, that, that we're talking about here. But it is kind of one of those things I think it does add a sense of urgency to the football seasons for these, you know, schools like Duke and Kansas, who historically have not had fantastic football programs, but need that extra you know, leg up to make sure that if, re- if realignment does come to their conference again, that they are ready and attractive enough to to make whatever moves they need to make. So, well, and it was interesting to hear Mike Elko talk about in his, you know, initial conversations when he got on campus, because, you know, he jumped out of the SEC to come over here and be the head coach. Um, at Duke, and, and he talked at length about the strength of the brand at Duke, whether you want to look at what Mike Krzyzewski built on the basketball side of things, or you want to look at, you know, what's obviously an elite academic institution. Uh, Duke has one of the strongest brands in the country, and, uh, you know, it says something that you can get a coach of his caliber to come here and, and lead this program now. Um, so I think that kind of factors into it, as everyone, I think, is looking and saying, how strong is our brand? Because it seems to be that's what's driving a lot of this conversation. I think there, there's a consensus that Duke has one of the strongest brands out there. Yeah, for sure. All right. So so for those that want to kind of keep up to date on what's happening with Duke over this course of the summer, um, where where is the best place for them to kind of get that information? Yeah, obviously, uh, everyone's in social media these days. So real simple to follow anything for Duke at Duke Football, Instagram, Twitter, all the different platforms. Uh, they can keep track of, of what's going on just by following me. I'm kind of a good aggregator for what's going on on here on campus. Um, at Duke PVP is, is my handle on Twitter. And GoDuke.com uh, is another great resource as we get closer and, and get ready for ACC kickoff coming up here in a couple of weeks and, and things start to get rolled out. Um, those are obviously the, the best resources to follow because our athletic department does such a good job of, of putting all the info out there to know and to get a flavor of what the Elko era is going to be like. And I think through the social media, you can already start to see um, some of the personality he's brought to the football program. Yeah, for sure. All right, David. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please to go out wherever you get your podcast, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. You can just search for Rock Chalk Podcast, subscribe, and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, it'd be absolutely fantastic. It really does get the podcast out there so more people can come in and we can do a lot more great things. But if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at Rock Chalk Podcast podcast at gmail.com 
or on Twitter at Rock Chalk Pod. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network covering all the teams in the Big 12, including the new ones that are coming in. If you head on over on Twitter at TEN12Network, you can get links to all the great shows that we have. We have 10 podcasts right now, and we are continuing to grow, continuing to look for new podcasts with all the new schools. So um, we are on the Anchor platform as well, so you can leave us a voicemail. Uh, get your voice on the show. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. Uh, but that's going to do it for us today. Make sure you visit our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Promo code CHALK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt, joined by my brother, Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. Sports Social Podcast Network.